Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Sunday, April 11th, our MLS first kick sale begins and runs through Friday, April the 16th. All MLS hats and tees will be only 15 bucks. Cannot be stacked with other discounts, though. Don't forget that. Since new 1996 Dallas Burn collection is here, be sure to secure your Burn merchandise before it's gone. And also don't forget, Third Degree listeners receive 25% off when they use the promo code ThirdDegree at checkout on Soccer90.com. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fans. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. We're that much closer to the start of another Major League Soccer season. Hi, how you doing? I'm Peter, and joining me today, first off, is the man trying to pass off pornography jargon in his articles. It's Dan Crook. I swear, I didn't realize cross-cum shot wasn't a phrase here. But <sighs> Sir, we funny. may have to beep that out. That is so <laughs> yeah. offensive and foul. Never heard you work so blue, Dan. Well, and well, all right. Uh, and also, uh, you know him, you love him. Founder, editor, thirddegree.net, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. How are you? Excellent. Where are you calling in from today, Buzz? We're not doing that bit anymore. Oh, that seemed to sort of have died during the pandemic when I couldn't go anywhere. Oh, true. Okay. <laughs> you seem to go soon. more places then. Right. Well, that was just some of that was work. Uh, but soon enough, we'll actually be able to call in from practice. That'll be exciting. Do you have a uh, a personal uh, pornography piece of jargon that you'd like to pass off as uh, some sort of descriptor in a in a game review that here for the podcast? Well, yours is get stuck in, so I don't really have one of the hey <laughs> my own. That's a that's a quality of footballing term, sir. Well, it's vaguely pornographic as well. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, I had never thought of it that way, but. You know what? Just Dan, wait I think he's until right. the breakdown says and Ricardo ripped a, whipped his balls in the box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, for those who don't know, we are referring to uh, Dan's write up of yesterday's preseason scrimmage against Austin FC. Uh, we will talk about that in great detail. Uh, let's start there. We all did. Uh, I, I, Dan, were you there at the game or did you watch it from somewhere else? I was there. Oh, you were up in the press box. Yep, just living the life. I snuck out of the press box. Don't admit that, dude. You're going to get in trouble. Yeah, oh. I was upset not to see you. Well, I had a, a security guard take me up there, and when I went up there, there was literally nobody in the press box area other than the people in the broadcast space. And I thought, oh, well, I'll go sit with Buzz. And so that's I just walked downstairs and went and sat with Buzz. That's because you get there early. All the cool kids are later. I swear I was there 10 minutes before kickoff. Well, there's no Weird. more pizza or food up there, so there's no reason to stay anymore. Oh, you know what? They had a nice little display of little bags of chips and water and stuff. No, oh, there you go. So Big fair time. to them. Yeah. Fair play to them. Yeah. Okay, guys, let's talk about the game. Uh, Dallas ends up winning a cup match between their first uh, between their new rival, in-state rival, Austin FC, on penalty kicks. Uh, Buzz, I have a feeling that you're – I even said this on Twitter – I felt like you were shading your true feelings uh, in your three, uh, three. what do you call it, three reactions, instant takes, or whatever you call yeah, it? Yeah, instant reaction, three things. 
that seemed way too positive yeah. uh, uh, based on all the cussing and and stomping your feet that you were doing while I was sitting with you in the stands. Well, that's a afternoon. little un- that's a little strong, but um, you know the the three things bit is designed to be short and quick, and if I get into a rant about something, then it, it you know, the whole thing's supposed to be a minute. So it's like, you know, and, and right now the hot topic is the three new guys. So I wanted to, you know, and I actually got to watch them in person. So I felt like that was kind of an important thing to do. And the other thing that happened is in the middle of recording it, some guy sh- comes around the other side of his car and then stands there and watches me. So I was like, uh, uh, here's two oh, more things no. and I'm gone. So now you're just, under pressure. Yeah, threw me off. I mean, it's not like it was. I was. I was not at the stadium at that point. It's just some random dude in a parking lot. So, <laughs> like, threw me off my game a little. But I did want to talk about the three guys in that bit. But I do have a lot more to say about you know about that game in general. Well, hold on before you do, because I haven't talked to Dan at all about the game. I'm interested in Dan's perspective of uh, Dallas's win over Austin. Preseason, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, I, I'm trying to be uh, positive and say, well, you know, the team that doesn't concede during preseason has an absolute crap season. So at least throw in three goals away, uh, you know, they, they can work out a few mistakes. Um, honestly, probably the worst game I've seen Matt Hedges play in an FC Dallas jersey, which if it's going to happen then, great. Uh, Martinez looked fantastic though, so at least there was that. It just looks like it was very disjointed. It was, which, when it's what probably is the intended start in eleven to start the season against a second string of a team that you know has a, an ice a cat's chance in hell of making the playoffs is a little bit disturbing. But. Yeah, because I'm super unfamiliar with Austin's roster. And I think at some point we began to understand exactly what a B lineup it was when they made the line change at what the 75th minute. Buzz, that did turn out to be kind of Austin's B team against Dallas's A team. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not an expert on Austin's roster, but, you know, based on what I do know of it and based on things like the amount of numbers and that were in crazy skewed spots and based on just name recognition, you know, of the starting group, there was only one name in that group that I recognized pretty much. And so when they brought in that whole line change, it was a whole bunch of dudes whose names I know. So it's like, you know, and all in lower single digit numbers. And when you're an expansion team, the best place you sign get the good numbers. So before anybody tells me the numbers are stupid, no, that it's a good way to tell things. You know, when you're looking at a whole bunch of guys in the single digits versus a whole bunch of guys that had high 20s, that means something. Just like it would with FC Dallas. A whole bunch of dudes in high 20s is the B team. So, you know, it, it is preseason. It's the first MLS team FC Dallas has played all year. They're going to get, uh, you know, all spring. They're going to get one more against Houston because you kind of have to go regional right now. You know, two teams that are not very good. So it's not super, you know, great showing for Dallas. I'm, I worry that they'll be a little slow starting. But um, definitely not, not great performance, um, you know, across the board. Well, why don't you start with the positive, your positive takeaways from the game? Well, I want to do my big takeaway first, if I can, if you don't mind. No. Um, yeah, because I call it a soapbox in my notes I put in there, but it's not really a soapbox. It's just that I was completely caught off guard uh, and shockingly so when I got hit yesterday with the idea. And I did this as a burn, too, because that's how strongly I felt about it, um, by the fact that all of a sudden, because of the, what Lucci has done and what Andre have done in the last week or two, we went from a rebuild of the offense 
now to basically a rebuild of the entire team, the entire first team, you know, now on an individual basis, a lot of their moves I like, right? But you are talking about a front line that jettisoned all the wings and you only have Frank O'Hara who came in basically for half a season last year and did not was great. And then midfield you had, uh, you thought you had your three guys coming back, Acosta, who was hurt most of last year, Ricarte, who was here half of a year, and we really liked but didn't put up large assist numbers, and Santos, who led the league in duels, and you felt really confident about that trio. Well, then they just, a week ago, jettisoned and sold Thiago Santos, which tr- takes apart that midfield stability and leaves you with no idea what you're going to do in one of those spots, and the other two are guys that basically played like half a year last year, and so you're not really sure about and then on the defensive front, at one point, you thought I thought basically like they're going to sell Reynolds for a boatload of money and then it'll be next guy up at right back. But the right by, the outside backs and the Dallas defense are help defenders, not key defenders. And so your defensive diamond was going to come back, you know, except for Martinez. And we considered that to be an upgrade over Ziegler. But you had Santos and you had Hedges and you had Maurer. Well, all of a sudden Santos is gone. And all of a sudden they've, instead of just bringing in a new right back, they've flipped rent, uh, Hollingshead to the right and now you've got Nelson at the left, who's an offensive project, or Munjoma, who's a defensive project. So no matter what, how you slice it, all of a sudden, the entire defense is a rebuild, except for Hedges. So effectively, when I was sitting there watching the game yesterday, I was like, this is a completely different team, pretty much, across the bottom from a year ago, right? Pretty much. Other than Hedges and Acosta, from a year ago, no one is the same. Maurer wasn't a starter a year ago. Right? Uh, Ricarte wasn't here. Hara wasn't here. And everybody else yeah, is new. So, it's a, I, you know, that's yeah, the thing. It, it just really hit me hard that it's a complete rebuild. Yeah, I think I've been a little bit more concerned about the defense all along than maybe you guys have been. I, I, I kind of have wondered. Um, and now I'm even more so because, to your point, they've, uh, they've changed two things to correct one, exactly. meaning what they're going to do at right back. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I think when I was watching that yesterday and the comment you and I, the, the comment that you and I made to each other was, you know, I was very much prepared for this to look like a very, uh, disjointed attack while guys figure it out. Cause they've added so many new pieces. What I wasn't prepared for was a significant step backwards defensively. Now, again, this is preseason guys aren't going hundred percent. They're trying not to get hurt. You know, uh, I get it. Um, it, and it's not necessarily the best thing to judge, but man, I saw a lot of things yesterday defensively, uh, that I, that really worried me. Um, and I, and I certainly think it adds all the more weight to the question we asked last week in the podcast was selling Tiago Santos really make this team better. And why did you do it? Because I, I thought that was a significant hole, uh, uh, in, in, in the, at least the defensive side of the field yesterday. Yeah. Think about what you saw yesterday. You saw three forwards who have never played together. You saw three midfielders because Ricarte's new, Acosta's hurt, and Cirillo's new. Three midfielders have never played together. And you saw four defenders who've never played together because Martinez is new, Nelson has not nominally been a starter, and Hollingshead's on the wrong side. So every single line in the whole thing is all guys that have never played together. And so you saw as a consequence on the field what you saw. It's not the end of the world. I'm just saying it really struck me that like, man, this is a totally new team. Yeah, Dan, I'm going to I'm gonna turn to you for your positive uh, 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 devil-may-care attitude to, 
because you're going to tell us we're wrong and everything's okay, right? Good luck with that one. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I was actually listening to uh, Buzz's Third Degree Burn, uh, which discussed this, and he, and he made a great point that, you know, you're in, you're walking into year three of Lucci and Andre, let alone the collective, but, but, you know, them individually too, which really should be kind of approaching the peak or getting getting those last tweaks, not changing you know, nine out of, well, nine, uh, sorry, eight out of 11 positions for, or seven out of 11 positions, sorry, from from what you had towards the end of the season. Yeah, there wasn't, you know, I yesterday's performance, uh, again, it was a preseason game, and I don't really have a sense of how much you can take away from that in terms of uh, quality and real uh, value as to what we'll get as the season goes along. They haven't had a chance to play a lot of games um, you know, I was reading an article or a comment somewhere from the, the, the new D.C. United coach who was being very honest about uh, his concern over his team's fitness level and how far behind uh, they are and that they're nowhere near ready to be fit for the start of the season. And I think it may have been Matt Doyle or somebody else that was commenting saying, yeah, I think this is going to be a problem league wide. And, and to me, there was nobody on that field yesterday that looked super fit other than maybe uh, Hadir Obreon, who is uh, just a kind of a constant runner, uh, buzz about the field kind of guy. Yeah, I'm not as concerned with the fitness. Lucci has addressed that as well. You know, in the post game, Dan, I think you had a quote in the book and that he was, you know, he says you're not, they're not their fit either. You know, they've pushed it to, where do they, where do they go about 70, 75 minutes where they started swapping people in and out? You know, you, yeah. you got one more game where you're going to try and go max, but um, you know, I, I think almost everybody's going to come into the spring uh, season, the start of the season unfit uh, across the league, you know, which is a shame because the, in a way the open cup qualifying is tailored on the hot start. So it's going to be a bummer for some, the team that might be better later in the year to be out that fast. But um you know, I'm not concerned about the fitness. That that wasn't what concerned me. What concerned me was a bunch of dudes that never played together. That's what concerned me. Yeah, well, I would say, uh, just to kind of share your you and I's commentary during the game was, is that, you know, all last year and the season before, I think I, you know, beat you guys to death with this question of what is Lucci ball? Like, what is that supposed to look like? And yesterday, uh, we were again asking ourselves, what exactly is the plan here? Because I, I didn't see it in what they were doing on the field yesterday. Uh, they certainly are playing something different, and I'm not sure if what we saw that was different yesterday is a byproduct of the fact that this is, is in your terms, a complete rebuild, or is Lucci trying to get them to play stylistically something a little different? I think he wants to play, play the same way, and, I, and the reason why is one of the con- it's not there yet is one of the cons for me, which we'll get to in a minute after we do the positives, but... Um, I think the the lack of Lucci Ball, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, what what I think I define Lucci Ball is, is is because it is spring. So that part too wasn't wasn't massively concerning because it is the first time they played an MLS team, and I, and I was just was overwhelmed by the fact that nobody knew how to read anybody. That's my biggest takeaway when you don't play together enough. It's like everyone's passing to the wrong spots, you know, and none of the mm-hmm. passes are connecting. So um, it's all solvable stuff. It's just weird, as Dan says that. In season three of an arc, when you do only these five-year coaching arcs, season three should be on the way up. And it's weird to be, you know, looking at this much change 
instead of a tweak. Now I do like, I, you know, like I can't take any individual move they made this year and say that was a bad move, whether it's getting rid of a guy or the guys they brought in, you know, it's just that you're going to have to hit on a whole lot of things in order for this to get much better in terms of a big picture improvement. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move to the positives and I'm going to assume it's going to start off with the new Venezuelan, Mr. Vargas, who, I have to admit that goalie hit was uh, a likable goal in in so many different aspects. Yeah, Freddie Pico Vargas. Uh, you know, I got some. I didn't get the glowing reports like I got with Martinez from the first week, but I did get a lot of oh, there's some interesting stuff here. And the more we've seen him, the more we agree that there are these terrific, amazing moments where he takes the ball and goes at people. So he looks super influential, which is a big thing for me, and super positive. And I, you really got to like uh, that signing. Uh, and then the other side too, I think, is not as good as uh, Vargas, but um, Hader Obreon also looks. We've said this several times now. Looks identical to Castillo, but Castillo was perfectly effective in Major League Soccer. Like you know what he's doing will will be able to work in this league. You just hope that it's going to be the later, more mature Fabian Castillo, and this guy being twenty five has a good chance to be that, and not the eighteen year old total mess Fabian Castillo. So. I'm real positive about both of those things on the offensive end. So Dan, any, uh, do you have any comments about those two guys? Yeah, definitely. I was impressed with Vargas. Uh, I, I, you know, I really liked that they did try to wing swap from straight from the off. Vargas did seem to struggle a little bit when he went right. Uh, I, I did definitely like that they kind of swarmed uh, the center of the box. It seemed almost like Hara was just getting in the way at times because they were, you know, like that. Uh, there was a passage of play where Vargas took it in from the right. Uh, Obrian's, uh like waiting to tee up the shot, and Harris just standing offside. Like, <laughs> what do I do? Uh, you know that that should have been a goal, uh, either from uh, Obrian's shot or uh, or from Ricardo's follow up. But you know, even looking at um, Obrian, it's maybe not as glowing as as Vargas. And yes, there is going to be some PTSD from from a certain Mister Castillo. Um, perfect example was that uh, chance he created out of absolutely nothing. Just received the ball and knocked it past uh, the the Austin left back. Next thing you know, there's like four players desperately trying to catch up to him, but then he blazes the shot over. Well, you can be frustrated that he blazed the shot over, but there's no other pit player on the pitch that's going to create that chance. That's going to create that opportunity. So. Like with Castillo, right? And and Barrios, actually, after in his first six months, it's just finding the balance of carving out those chances from nothing and and actually putting them into a, a dangerous position maybe, and not just wasting them. Yeah, I, I said to Buzz, there was a moment, I think it was in the second half, where he got the ball out wide and he was straight up on his defender. And I thought for sure he was just going to throw the ball into empty space and beat the guy. And that's kind of what I wanted him to do, although that wasn't the right decision. And instead, he stopped, he put his foot on the ball, and he made the right decision to play the ball square. And I told Buzz I was I was kind of disappointed <laughs> because I wanted to see him do the Castillo thing where he just ran into empty space and outchased everybody. Uh, uh, and he didn't do that. He actually did the right thing. So uh, there, he does have a lot of uh, Castillo... Uh, elements to his game he he some really poor crosses once he got very deep into the box and a couple of bad shot decisions but overall I do think he'll at least be entertaining to watch this year uh, and that'll be fun I mean it's a, it's a fun team always right just yeah maybe uh 
maybe a few flaws, but but a lot of we'll have a lot of fun uh, laughing at him, I guess. I was also surprised how big Vargas is. I did not realize he was that size of a guy, uh, and that's good. He used he used his size and power uh, to great effect, especially on that goal, which again was r- about as nice a preseason goal I think I've ever seen in an actual game. So kudos to him. They only list him at five ten. You know, 177, and I'm not sure I'm buying the 510 part. Six yeah. feet at least. He yeah. looks huge out there. I think he's taller than maybe they're trying to make him feel diminutive and nifty or something, but you know, that he looks more like a bull, like a six foot six one something kind of to me. You know, yeah. I, he's towering over, hanging with all those big center backs and looks perfectly the same size. So, well, our new Barcelona center back looked mighty good yesterday. Yeah, I'm really, you know, listen, I'd already heard amazing reports about the guy. So I was trying to keep my level head at best not to get too excited. And and everything I saw in both the game we watched on tape and now this one live in person, the guy looks terrific. You know, uh, looks like he's going to be a great match with Hedges. Obviously, you know, he and Hedges are still working on the finer details of reading each other. That's perfectly normal at this stage. You know, you just have to be really excited about how the center backs are going to shape up once they get all on the same page. Uh, and the, the defensive problems are not those two guys working together. That part looks phenomenal. I will say with uh, with the with uh, Martinez, um, you know, you can have players that can read each other's games, but you need a player that can read the game. And uh, there was a moment where Hedges took a ball forward, and uh, I think he nutmegged a guy in the midfield, but then it kind of rebounded back and. Uh, Martinez would have been one on one, but you know, just reading the game, he did the. It was almost like uh, it was a quote that I think Gary Neville always said. Um, you know, I might not be the fastest guy on the pitch, but I'm always going to put myself in the right place, and that's exactly what he did. In, in his covering was read the game well, put himself in the best place to to limit the uh, the danger. And he's a big guy, and the fact now that they've got a guy with a left foot to play that position and somebody with a right foot to play that position, I think ultimately will really benefit the team. Uh, and then the other thing on the positive side, at least here in in Buzz's uh, Sharpie handwritten notes, something about the switch to the four four two. Yeah, I was super excited when they when Lucci brought on both um, Jesus Ferra and Ricardo Pepe because when they did. For a good five or ten minutes, it looked to me like a strict flat four with Pepe as a high nine and um, Jesus as a Jason Christ style off striker. Both of the wings were sitting back on the wide positions. And for a while, I thought, boy, when's the last time you saw that formation? But the, the part I really liked about it, of course, was the Pepe high, Jesus slightly underneath. That combo to me should be the future striker combo of this franchise. Now, Lucci doesn't play a two-striker system, but for a little bit, we saw it, and I was super excited. Jesus didn't even score out of it. Um, so that was really good. It didn't stay that way for long, which we'll get to in the negative in a minute, but for a while, I was really happy with that. Yeah, it was interesting to watch, and I think you're going to allude to the fact that it took Jesus all of about uh, two minutes to start soaking all the way back into midfield. Uh, I don't know if that was just because he was frustrated and wanted to get on the ball and, and knew he needed to do something to help turn the game around, or if that was some sort of instruction from Lucci. Um, that was interesting, but yeah, I think it's, I, th- I think uh, it's now time to kind of switch over to the other side of the coin and, and talk about things that bothered us. And it was funny because early today, uh, the good, not good, great cranks, who does all those great videos and everything, tweeted a, uh, a series of photos out that I thought were 
kind of misleading. He tweeted three fo- photos out and highlighting uh, the different defensive formations or the formations Dallas kind of morphed into depending on where they were on the field. And I thought those were really interesting moments in time. I also worried that it gave everybody the sense that this team was highly organized because that is not one thing I would uh, describe this team as based on what I saw yesterday was really, really well structured and organized on the field. No, that goes back to the sloppiness of what we talked about, about it looking like guys were not playing well together. I I retweeted his thing because um, one of the things I try to explain to people a lot of times, and Lucci talks about this a lot, that... Um, tactics are less about the structure of the shape and more about the roles. And so in particular, the things that were interesting about those three images was the idea that defensively Dallas does compress to a four, five, one. And then as they're playing out, they get fluid. Now he, he drew it as a four, four, one, one or whatever, when they're playing, that's just a coincidence to me of, you know, one of the mids is higher for just a moment and the, and the wings are not back up yet. The, the, the third image is the point they want to get back to, which is the normal 4-3-3 offensively when they have possession. So in between those two, that idea that there's a rigid shape there is not something that this team does. It's just once or twice you get that. Um, but the collapsing, the, the base defensive shape and the base offensive shape, I do think are something this team strives for. Again, it's a little loose right now because of the, they're still all trying to figure out how to play together. So... Um, that that lack of cohesion in the shape, I think, is something that will be addressable and is not a panic thing. The, the real problem with this with the shape issue, Peter, and the fluidity of what we were talking about is that it's super important um, that the defense does collapse back into that four five one. If the wings don't track back and sit on top of the outside backs defending, which they did occasionally, but not the whole game. The problem is if you don't do that, your outside backs are going to get trucked because the other team's going to recognize that you're not. And they're going to overload into those spaces. And then your outside backs are going to face two two on one all day. And you're going to get just destroyed down the wings. And if you watched Austin play yesterday, particularly, they recognized that. And they were playing a lot of down the side and cross in because in the early phase, particularly in the first half, Vargas and O'Brien were not getting back enough and taking up the proper position. So um, that that part is a negative that will have to be addressed and was one of the issues they had yesterday. And that's the downside of these two new wings. Until they figure out how Lucci wants them to play, until they figure out how they've got to get back, those outside backs from Dallas could get just you know a steady stream of double teams down their wings. Yeah, and that is something of a concern. I, I think uh, the, the, the width of the team is a concern going forward and backwards, and we can talk more about that. But I do think, especially based on our conversation as we were watching the game, uh, the biggest concern on this team has to be, and it was best, in, it was best captured on Twitter uh, from the Twitter user at MCH Bay, who simply tweeted, Frank O'Hara plays like an Osmobile. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I don't think I could find a better way of describing how Frank O'Hara plays this game. And it's not a compliment, by the way. Dear yeah, listen, I, I don't know what Dan thinks about this, but I'm I'm trying so hard to keep an open mind, you know, because I okay, I I get it. Guys come in that sometimes they need six months to to do this or that, but you know, we we monitor these guys through whatever means we can, and I did not see a lot of stuff from Frank O'Hara this winter that made me think Oh man, that dude is dialed in. He's going to bring it. 
you know, and when the, the pictures from early camp made us concerned and the lack of movement and the static nature of his play and the slow, you know, like was there any time where he went head to head with a guy and won a duel and won a ball and made play continue yesterday? I just, he I kept just giving not, away little fouls. Yeah. Any time he went for a 50 50 or tried to back up a guy on a header. Yeah. I'm seeing nothing that makes me think that he's a better option than the Ricardo Pepe. I just don't see it. At this point, I mean, forget about Jesus. Just Ricardo Pepe to me is outplaying the guy across the board, and so I, I cannot believe there's not a point coming when the dude doesn't sit on the bench. And if he doesn't sit on the bench, the longer he doesn't sit on the bench, the more convinced I'm, I am that the owner is saying that dude's playing. Period, no matter what, because he's trash. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was thinking a lot about this uh, as I was driving home after the game. It's not it's I don't think it's an effort issue with Hara like he you know he 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 presses uh, f- fairly okay you know he'll chase a defender he'll press a goalkeeper he'll do a little bit of that work and you get and again like you alluded to Dan he 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 will agitate center backs he'll foul he'll do some of that work that you want to see out of a a guy like that but it does make me question his overall quality, just general quality, when I see two things. And I'll use two examples that I think are the, are, are the best ones. Uh, in the first half, he ends up one-on-one in a completely empty space up against uh, Julio Casante, the Costa Rican center back for Austin that they got from Portland. Now, this isn't, I wouldn't say Julio Casante is considered to be a top-tier A-grade MLS-level center back. But I watched him literally physically boss Frank O'Hara and steal the ball from him on a one-on-one deal. There was Now, Franco had nobody to go to. He had nobody to pass to. He just had to beat the guy, and he couldn't do it. Part two, at the beginning of the second half, somebody makes a perfectly good cross to Frank O'Hara at the top of the Austin box at about chest height. And all he had to do, and I think any striker worth their salt at a million dollars a year, chests that ball down and takes a shot or does something with it. But what did Frank O'Hara do? He took the easy way out, and he tried to to head the ball into the net from 18 yards out, which was the laziest, most base thing you could possibly do in that situation. And I think those two moments in time best capture why I personally am worried about him in this position. Yeah, that play, I remember specifically, if he would have chested it, and I don't want him to hit the ground, just chest it down and your right foot volley is perfect and you can rip that thing. Because the defender was like two yards behind him, back towards the center. He had yeah, he had nobody on him. He was yeah. all by himself. Yeah, he had plenty of space, plenty of time. Like, you don't want to drop it and take a move, but like chest it and then when it comes down, volley it. And the, and it was, the half-hearted header was just ridiculous. The thing that kind of irked me a little bit just watching him yesterday is I don't care that the fastest he moved was when he was subbed off because it's preseason. What I do care about is last season, uh, no matter how slow he got or how poor he was going in front of goal, he had a cultured touch. He could make a yard of space. He could you know, free up a gap to pass a ball to try and take a shot. He didn't have that yesterday. He He was kind of like walking into trouble or kind of just going to ground or fouling to get out or something. There wasn't that kind of, there wasn't the smarts about him that the should be from a guy who's got the scoring record that he does. Yeah, he's 32 now as well. Well, that's what I'm saying. The touch never, you know, the touch and your brain, you know, you shouldn't leave you. Your, your physicality may drop, but a, a good player remains a, a good player. 
I mean, you would think he will be 33 in July, by the way. So he got that going. For yeah, you. I, you know, I thought a lot of players touch look really wonky yesterday. I thought that I don't think that's anything exclusive of Hara. And again, it's a preseason situation. I'd like to see everybody have a, a little bit better first touch. The other player that I, I came away from the game from really, really worried about, as much as this bums me out to say it, was Edwin Sorio. I, I just yeah. lots of lots of errors in the game. I you know I didn't see him. Um, you know, t- positionally, I think he does a lot of things really good, but I also don't see him doing a lot of the workhorse stuff that uh, Santos used to do, and even more importantly. Grezo used to do like the ground they used to cover he just doesn't seem to be that kind of guy which worries me because it makes me think that he's now going to be more dependent on having a second person back there with him versus allowing Edwin to play that as a single pivot holding mid Dan go ahead and go first because I think I'm gonna have a different take than you guys go ahead yeah I I mean I'm I'm Kind of with you, there's something that I did see, and uh, even even Brian Acosta, I know we kind of like bemoaned his his play at six, but one thing Lucci likes to do is drop, you know, drop uh, the six in between the center backs, you know, going back to kind of create that almost back five, but also going forward because the six can pick up the ball, distribute to the eight, distribute out wide. You want to have someone who has that range of passing and and to pick that ball up from a little bit deeper to avoid the press. And Edwin wasn't doing it. Edwin was kind of sticking to his to to his little position just a little bit further up and not really venturing too far out of it. Yeah, this comes down to um, knowing your players. And even though Edwin came out of the academy, he didn't play for Lucci all that much. I, I believe that, like... His time in the 17s was when Luigi was the 19s, and then vice versa, because it was like it was somebody else. I think it was Chewy that moved Edwin from a winger to a six. So Cyril never six. Cyril never sixed for Luigi. So um, to me, I see Edwin right now looks like the player that I remember from the academy. He's not a hard hitter. He doesn't wreck people. He 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 plays defense and he plays six by position, and he's really good about cleaning up balls. And really good about simple, quick distributions to people. He's not going to venture forward. He's not going to spray long balls. You know, so like I, I saw a guy that looked exactly like I expected him to look, which maybe is why I like him a little better. Now, 100%, Peter, you're right. Compared to Grezzo, he's going to suffer by comparison big time. And compared to Santos, who led the league in duels, is gonna he's going to suffer by comparison big time. So there has to be some recognition on somebody's part that Edwin is 20, and he's playing a position that is have a, has a huge, massive mental and experience component to it, except for the rare exceptions of Grezzo, who was exceptional early. And there needs to be recognition, as Dan said, that the two eights in front of him have to take turns sliding back in. Even when you compress into that 4-5-1, they're both next to him. And you cannot leave a 20-year-old kid on an island. You have to take turns checking in with him because of who he is. You ha- you can't, if you don't recognize that that's the player that you actually have, despite the fact that he's had a great camp, despite the fact Lucci said he's doing better with more of the tackling that they would like him to have, despite all of that, you have to recognize he's not Santos. He's not Grezzo. I can't leave him on an island. Mm-hmm. I have to adjust my tactics. I have to adjust my team. I have to adjust my shape. So when I thought everyone had a solid game, but not horrible game because of what I know the player that you have there, 
And the reason he looked terrible at exposed was because the team left him exposed. I don't think that's on Edwin. I think that's on Lucci. It's funny. I go back and I think about the game and what I what what I'm I'm trying to think of how well did Austin play, how badly did Dallas play, or how well did they play? You know, Austin's three goals. The first goal was the byproduct of just some terrible man marking on Acosta's part. Uh, at first, and then and Hedges kind of recognizing the danger a little bit late. That was just really, really shoddy, and maybe just somebody not wanting to get stuck in because it's a preseason game. And then the second one, obviously, is a little bit of Keystone Cops defending, trying to clear a ball, just bad luck that it bounces up and hits Johnny in the hand or the arm or whatever it was. And then the third one is, again, I think Dan said this at the top, just some really odd defending on Hedges' part to to foul that guy. But but other than that, I didn't feel like I felt like Austin had a good run through the midfield, but they weren't able to generate a lot of real danger. And maybe we should come away from the game feeling better about that. But really, my biggest concern with the team going back into the attack was I just never had a sense that they really had a plan of what to do with the ball once they got it. Yeah, this is the next uh, big problem with the current state of Lucci ball is that because you've switched Ryan Hollingshead to the right where he's not comfortable to, by his own admission. And because yeah. Johnny Nelson, who we love defensively, but it's still a work in progress offensively. Let's be real about that. Johnny had a really rough day trying to play out of the back and Hollingshead won much better. So think about all last year. How many times have we talked about last year? I mean, they named Brian Reynolds MVP of the damn team, which was stupid, <laughs> but it was because of his ability to get forward and create. And Holland said on the left in 2019, best left back in the league, right? Because of his ability to get score, get forward and do stuff. There was none of that yesterday. And in Lucci's system, if you don't get those outside backs doing that stuff, this team totally disintegrates offensively and you're left with guys doing one-on-one Vargas goal, O'Brien's work, those individual things salvaged it. The team concept offensively was a zero because your outside backs are right now a mess. Yeah, I mean, if they can't get Hedges and whoever's playing on the left side to go forward, they might as well just become a team that sits back and waits and and becoming a counterattack-only team. Which you saw yesterday. Which is, yes, exactly. Yeah. Which was really the only moments they ever really looked dangerous until late in the game when Jesus came in and kind of helped organize some some build up play. But yeah, I, that, that would be my that was one of my big takeaways. Uh, was I was really surprised how little Ryan. I think Ryan tried to get forward uh, here and there. I think Nelson even to a degree. There was one moment we saw Nelson in the opposing box, and I was like, "Wow, that's good." But it was the only time I saw it happen. Yeah, I mean, he tried late, but. I- Dan, I'm, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I thought that, you know, for the whole first half, for sure, there it was very little of that. So again, it comes back to like guys still trying to figure out what they're doing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, on that note, I thought it was kind of evident guys was trying to figure out even, uh, you know, we talk about every preseason, it seems like the team tries to reinvent the, the press aspect of, of what Lucci ball was, was supposed to be. And, you know, we saw Vargas, uh, sorry, O'Brien hard pressing and then the midfield, nothing. Right. You know, it was, it was that, that inconsistency through the team is, is really just players like, well, actually, what, what are we doing here? That, you know, that was one of the interesting takeaways from that stat chart post I did maybe a week ago was the, the one about what quarters Dallas presses in. And they don't press 
relative to the amount of pressing in the league and the other teams, the percentages, they're a low percentage of their presses in the offensive end and a low percentage of their presses in the midfield. They press in the defensive third, which I found surprising, you know, relative to what we thought was Lucci wanting to press. And they last year, they really didn't. They're really not a high pressing team. And I think that's one reason why they rebuilt this team was because Lucci realized last year that he couldn't high press with this team. So this team's different this year and we're gonna have to see whether he rebuilt it to do that or whether he rebuilt it because he can't do that it'll be interesting to watch that um okay so uh dallas i you know it's funny the game ended and it was 3-3 and i just i was like man i just want to i need to get down back down to dallas and go eat (laughs) dinner and so i left i had no idea they were going to do a penalty shootout oh they were worried about uh there was so in that competition it goes straight to penalties but they can as stupid as this rule is, they have the option of doing extra time, but the score doesn't count. So it still goes to penalties anyway. Uh, so there was a big talk, like, and yeah, it, it went on for a long time about whether they would do penalties or whether they would uh, do half, uh, do the 30 minutes extra time as well as penalties, which was kind of like why the players were just hanging around, not seemingly knowing what was going on. Hmm. I bet Austin wanted to play. I mean, their stars played 15 minutes. Oh, like, well, yeah, and they didn't have that scrimmage afterwards. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, was the So how did the penalties go? I didn't see it. Um, the first one was a yeah. treat. <laughs> uh, the first one, Austin, uh, Austin player took, rolled it down the middle ever so gently. Jimmy falls on it. You're like, oh, that's an easy hold. And somehow it bounces into the top of the goal and he's like oh that's that's a terrible start but uh <laughs> after that um you know the the dallas penalties were actually fantastic Pepe scores the winner smashing it off the post it was uh i remember vargas's kick being pretty good too if i remember the, yeah he just like placed it in the top corner yeah that was that was pretty yeah, so it was nice, nice PKs. It does make me wonder who's going to take penalties this year. I guess, I'm assuming it's it's hard, oh, yeah, right? It'll be hard. He scored bags of penalties in Mexico. That's his thing. Remember the whole fight he got in with Reto over that? Oh uh, well, that's kind of why. Uh, that's kind of yeah. why I made the assumption is he didn't have to. He didn't have to fight through Rito Ziegler to yeah to, be, to take his opportunity. He'll be taking all of them. All right, so I didn't. You know, as I said, I didn't stick around, and I knew there was a scrimmage afterwards. Uh, but I am aware of the fact that we didn't see Paxton Pomacall in either of those events. And I'm wondering if anybody has any sense if that's a, if that means anything, man, I, I thought I saw him on the jumbotron as I was walking in the stadium, but I wasn't really paying attention. But then I, I was trying to look for him on the bench and I don't think I saw him there. Uh, we didn't see Burgess it? either. So yeah, Burgess wasn't there or Paxton or Tuamasi for that matter. So mm. I think that all those guys are injured. were just left out of the bench area completely. I'm not surprised that they're not risking Paxton. You know, like, listen, we've been saying all winter, People need to relax and, and wait and be patient on this kid. You know, let's not pressure him. The team's All doing right. enough pressuring of the guys. Jesus, enough pressuring of him as it is to his detriment. So hopefully they'll chill out on that crap. Yeah, I think they've. I think they finally figured out uh, a few weeks ago they needed to stop saying he's a hundred percent and and putting up emoji strong arm emojis uh, <laughs> next to him all the time. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else particular about the preseason game before we move on to the other stuff? Uh, the only thing is that um, and the little scrimmage that happened afterwards for some reason, and I think it's just posi- mostly positional. There's three players from North Texas Soccer Club that have been with FC Dallas pretty much exclusively. Benny Redzik, Colin Smith, and Derek Waldeck. They have not been, as near as I can tell, with North Texas at all. 
And two of those guys are academy guys. So, it, you know, th- two of them, three of those three guys all came in and played with basically the leftovers, which was Nicky Hernandez and, um, no, Dan, who was the last one? Crap. Um, Munjoma. Munjoma. Yeah, to sort of fill up the 11 and make it all happen. Mm-hmm. So one be- one begins to wonder with those guys being kept around by Lucci this long and there are a couple of ro- open roster spots, you know, would he think about signing one? Uh, uh, just real quickly, Waldeck is a left back with North Texas, but he was a holding mid in college. I mean, you could argue that they have a depth spot need, maybe for like the 30th guy on the roster to be like an emergency six type guy. So maybe him. Collins just turned 17, so he's a, he's a right back experiment happening right now. So I, I think he'll play with North Texas all year. And Benny's actually 18, but he'll graduate in May, and he does have that Bosnia passport. So I don't think – I think Derek's the closest one maybe to getting a sniff, but I wouldn't expect any of those guys to get signed. But they are hanging around. And there are a couple of open spots, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. I will say, out of all the players on North Texas and FC Dallas, uh, Derek Waldeck has got probably one of the best footballing brains out of any of those players. Yeah. If his he would, body can catch up, he would be immense. Yeah, and if you're looking at the bottom of the roster guy, like the last guy, he works his tail off. He's an amazing, like, likable locker room. Awesome. He would show up every single day and bust his tail in training. So like, if you want basically what would be a practice player, he would be a great fit for that. But then again, he'd always would just be a practice player. Like the MLS feature there is non-existent. And and he's exactly what Lucci wants. A guy who's a defensive midfielder, but can play left back, can play a bit center back. Cause I thought he'd looked really good at center back to be totally honest. Yeah. Um, yesterday. Uh, I mean, I only saw a little bit of it, but what I did see was, you know, good positioning, good recovery runs, knew when to slide, when to stay on his feet. Um, and know, that's the reason we bring it up. Is if you're trying to fill up a 22-man scrimmage or whatever and you're using him over and over and over again, at some point they might give the kid a contract. That's the main reason I bring it up. That's it. Oh, and right. Code is awesome, so watch out for that kid in North Texas. That <laughs> dude is legit. All right, I'm going to ask each of you uh, before we move on to the next thing, just real quick, Dan. Just for the uh, you know for the the person listening to the podcast, how much of what happened yesterday, good or bad, do you think is a real indicator of how the tw- uh, the new season will go? Uh, none of it. Uh, I'm not putting any stock in into anything until April seventeenth. All right, Buzz. I'm going to say sixty uh, percent of what you saw yesterday is what you'll see on opening day because it is literally a week and a half away at this point. Now it won't be what you, it won't have anything to do with the end of the season, but the start of the season, this team I, I'm predicting will be a mess. Okay. So will everybody else though. So that's, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> I do want to make a note. I was really surprised. It was confused and surprised to find out that for all of the uh, hype machine that Austin FC has been throwing out over the green slash verde stuff, I was absolutely shocked and confused to find out that the Austin FC primary kit is 80% black. Yeah, it's not particularly green. It's more green than I expected. I thought they'd be all black just because that's what everybody does now, but... I like well, the front I like, side. I like the fr- yes. I don't know why the back panel is. I don't know, like just like literally simply making wearing green socks would improve that whole thing. I just I don't know. I, I just was really surprised that the whole thing was almost all black and so little green based on how they've been promoting the team. Yeah, well, green back panel, uh, green socks would have been nice. 
while we're indulging in a bit of kit nerding, uh, in the press box, uh, I think it was a little joke between uh, John Arnold and I and, a couple, and Owen um, about we we figured that you might get a little bit triggered that it was a dark v dark kit combo, and then that Jimmy Mauer's kit actually clashed with the referees while the Austin Keepers <laughs> clashed with the FC Dallas kits. We yeah, actually had that conversation. Yeah. In, in the stands. <laughs> yeah. All three elements of what you just said, we all looked at each other. Wow, I, I can't believe. And then, of course, I then made reissued my offer to Major League Soccer to become their official kit signer uh, for the entire league for free. I will do that job for free if you will let me be the person that decides who wears what for each and every MLS game. Yeah, when they were walking out of the locker room, I turned to my wife and said, oh, man, Peter's going to be triggered. <laughs> sure enough. <laughs> he was. How long did it take before oh. I said, why are they both wearing their dark uniforms? <laughs> yeah, like, literally before they even got all the way on the field. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I like it when they do that. I think that looks good because I think that's a that, that's a good look. But I also am aware of the fact that they're supposed to be trying to get teams to wear lighter, you know, more con- uh, 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 contrasting uh, style. So anyway, I, I was blown. But it, yes, more concerning is the referee wearing the same exact color as a goalkeeper and their goalkeeper wearing a slightly different shade of uh, red uh, than his opponent. Yeah, those are the two more concerning yeah. things. And they're both wearing their primary. Yeah, kits. refs in preseason form, for example, not giving the yellow card two seconds into the game when that dude trucked uh, Vargas. I think it was, wasn't it? They got wrecked right early. Yeah. yeah but now later on. Yeah, so I want to. I do want to uh, move on. So when I was there, this is the first time I've been in the stadium in quite some time, and I uh, walked behind the section that is going to be the supporter section, which is the southwest quadrant. They've removed all the seats from this section, and they're going to be putting some sort of railing out to make some sort of quasi um, version of safe standing. And I, I had a lot of questions to myself about it. And then late today, before we started uh, recording the podcast. The official El Matador account, the supporters group account, uh, was tweeting something about the fact that it now appears that that section. And Dan, by the way, do you know how many people can stand that section can hold? Uh, about four hundred. Okay, man, it looks so much bigger oh, than that to me. Yeah. Okay, all right. I for some reason well, that four, just it's looks... four hundred, but there's social di- uh, social distance and aspect, so I don't know how much it will be to begin with. Oh, so it might be like two hundred. Yeah, so uh, uh, you know, so I was really trying to figure out, I had a lot of questions about it in general, but the El Matador account began to uh, tweet something today expressing a concern over the fact that it turns out that that section will not be exclusive to members of a supporters group. Yeah, so um, I, I've sat in meetings before where the discussion of wanting the supporters groups wanting to call the beer garden the supporters section uh, was shot down because the FC Dallas definition of a supporters section is uh, the supporters groups actually controlling the sales or having or, or membership of a group being a, a, a prerequisite of getting tickets in that section. Um, so FC Dallas have now, you know, they've now referring to that as a supporters section. But uh, what I found out is, it is sold out um, because they offered for people that were in that section last season if they would like to renew there, which is crazy because they've moved so many people for COVID protocols without giving them any kind of option. 
Um, so what you will have is a section that has some support group people in and some people who just were there because it was one of the relatively cheap seats. Um, weirdly, supporter groups were also promised because, you know, the beer garden was 975 seats or spaces, but the new section is only 400. The overspill uh, tickets, because that would be a thing, would go in sections either side. So that may be actually the, the first like the next blue section in the Hall of Fame or the first red section. That has not happened because overspill people who are renewing from the beer garden last year are being given tickets in section 101, which is uh, right at the other end of the stadium next to the beer garden. So there is a kind of a a big hoo-ha about, you know, what's you know split well firstly splitting up supporters because you know the whole point of a supporters section is that you know the people who kind of want to sing and cheer and get behind the team can do that in sorry my dog uh can do that in one place and kind of create that atmosphere and you know if people uh you know and families who may want to protect their kids ears from a little bit of cussing can go to other places or you know or just know the the risks of that being the case, or uh, the smoke, or a potentially uh, impeded view before the game with a with a tifo display or something like that. So, yeah, there's there's, there's a little bit of a little bit of a a, a mess up here. Um, it, it seems like uh, FC Dallas kind of miss, you know. Uh, wrongly you know sold the view to the supporters groups a little incorrectly and you know i hope they haven't misled their existing ticket holders there that want to renew there and kind of don't realize what the changes are i mean can you imagine if you're like a regular ticket goer like like myself i don't sit in the support section if all of a sudden i found myself surrounded by smoke bombs and songs and chants and horns and cursing and you know the general supporters vibe which is a great thing I don't want to sit in it though. So I can, you can just see opening day. There's going to be, I mean, even if it's only a couple hundred people within a section or two of that stuff are now going to be mad calling, complaining. Yeah. I can just see like, it's going to cause a massive headache for FC Dallas. (laughs) Yeah. And that's it. And like the supporters group, you know, that section is going to be now general admission. So people may have been like, Oh, you know, I've got, well, not row one because row one's going to be blocked off, but you know, they might have like the you know near the front row, and they're like, "This is my spot." Because, well, now it's it's technically not anyone's spot anymore. So it says standing room only, general admission, and those people that are assigned the seats in in section one hundred one, you can bet that they're going to pile over and and try and like maintain a single supporters section. It's going to be an absolute mess. And it's not like if it happened to a couple of people, then you know second game their tickets are reassigned maybe they've got a free upgrade or something it's going to be a considerable number of number of people yeah i i don't think i need to repeat this because i've been pretty vocal about my my feelings about this from the start both on this podcast on social media and definitely on the radio show i just don't get it i don't understand the whole thing i know that the default response has something to do with the cba and and the players and the league making some sort of agreement about the fans not being too close to the field I don't buy that. I, I thought there was a solution for them to continue to use the stage. 
Um, uh, I, you know, I, I, I just they find the whole thing endlessly confusing. They could have used the stage, but the capacity would have been reduced to like the 400 that they've got now. <laughs> so it was kind of like, a, well, while we're doing this, let's move you. Because realistically, FC Dallas doesn't want to operate the beer garden. They don't want to have all four sides on the go. They don't want the extra security. They don't want the extra vendors. They don't want the extra cost. Yeah, I, look, this all falls into that same category as to why there aren't 8 p.m. kickoffs. And it also is the same answer to the question I had yesterday of, why are they making the 300 people that are here on this beautiful day sit in the sun when there's an entire side of the stadium that is in the shade where it's like 70 degrees and perfect? And it suddenly dawned on me, the answer to that question is simply this. The concession stands are all far more easily accessible. Oh, and the fan shop on the on the east side of the stadium. Yeah, it would. And I'm sure that's a con, I'm sure they would tell you that's a convenience thing. Um, uh, the answer is, well, we're just trying to make it more convenient. You don't have to walk as far. I'm just going to be cynical and say, yeah, they just wanted to make it more obvious for you to go buy stuff. I mean, it's it's funny because I feel like my ever since. I mean, even when I was a, even when I was like, you know, a supporter going to games in in the beer garden, I always wondered why the team didn't just like give up a portion of that east side for the supporters because it's the part that's on camera so it looks terrible that it's your the most sparse area in the stadium because no one wants to sit in the sun it's the cheap ticket so you put the supporters there they can lay out a tifo on the whole side of the stadium they can do card displays they can be visible um and then you can worry about people who want to spend more money on tickets and put them in different places and that but it just seems like they go like now they're tucked in the corner that I mean, even in the you know in the press box because that used to be the away section the away ticket section that would be the part where you would you know have your head dead against the window which you know prods out a little bit further than the stand and you couldn't see them you know it's it's the hidden corner and oh yeah and, I, I get it you know I, I it's the, it makes no sense to me they've taken the one charming cool piece of atmosphere that they have at games and they've crammed it into a corner that you can't see on television. I, I, I literally do not understand the thinking behind it. Uh, but again, the optimist in me likes to hope that there is a reasonable explanation um, and that it was part of some sort of larger agreement with the supporters groups and everybody uh, thinks this is a good idea and I'm just an idiot. I get it. And I, I certainly don't want to be that guy that's constantly cynical and always looking on the bad side of these things. But sitting in the stadium yesterday and kind of sussing out what this is going to be like whenever we get back to uh you know not limited capacity i just don't understand why they made the move i like it just doesn't make sense to me no i'm with you and it's kind of funny because it, it, it almost creates a divide because the guys from matador the guys and girls sorry um you know they've been moved around four or five times in the last few years they just want to they just want a permanent home they don't yeah. really care at this point the the beer guardians obviously that the beer garden like is is the name so on that level it's kind of like well why and if you took the people who weren't actually members of the supporters groups out of the beer garden you probably you know what's left of the capacity probably isn't really gonna matter too much mm -hmm. it's just it's like I say it, it's 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 like the right back thing you know you instead of solving one problem you create another problem yeah. 
Well, maybe it'll all work out. And, you know, uh, especially with limited seating capacity, it probably won't make that much difference anyway, ultimately. Uh, and it's not until they are starting to allow full capacity will we really start to see the effects of all of this. Um, so uh, maybe so we should just. Just July 4th. Yeah, probably. But let's just uh, and I don't want to be again. I don't want to just assume the worst. I want to I want to give it an opportunity to work. So let's just see how it all plays out. Um, OK, Buzz, anything else that you want to cover in today's podcast? Uh, yeah, the burn retro gear that they put uh, out. The burn uh, retro gear. Yeah, apparently it's been a big hit. I mean, I think there was some internal dialogue among you know people at fc dallas like no one's gonna want this stuff or whatever and of course they were wrong uh those people that felt that it was a big hit um enough so that uh there's chatter that they're gonna try and maybe do some different kinds of things and and do some more stuff uh you know at some point further down the road a little bit because it had such a good response so (laughs) super excited it's funny, yesterday, uh, Enter, there was a rumor that Enter uh, Milan has this insane kit. You know, they've redone their badge, and everybody's upset about that. And they've got this insane collage-looking kit that they're going to release as a third or a fourth jersey next year. And I thought to myself, this reminds me of how things are initially hated, but in 25 years, everybody's going to look back and go, oh, man, that Inter Milan kit was sweet. I can't wait till they do a, a throwback version of that because that's exactly how everybody feels about burn jerseys in 2021. In 1996, everybody hated that jersey and the, all of those original MLS designs, but now everybody thinks they're super sweet. Well, now it's nostalgic, you know. I mean, the big horse was a comical logo and was kind of embarrassing, and the name Burn was kind of stupid. But, you know, in a throwback context, it's kind of a badge of, like, hey, man, I was here from the beginning, right? The bird yeah. school, mm-hmm. like, for those of us that are old school. So, you know, enough people dug it that people bought it, you know, and that both of the shops are like, hey, we're running out of stuff. If you're going to get some, move quick, you know. Even our yeah. room tonight was about that. Yeah, I was funny. I, I, I did notice, I was relieved to see that they tried to do an authentic uh, replica of the original home shirt. And when I looked at it at first, I went, oh, that looks really, uh, wait, there's something. And then it finally clicked. <laughs> they didn't do the double horse. Yeah. They And I, and you know what? Uh, it's funny how we all used to completely complain and bitch about how stupid it was. They put the crest both as over the heart and then centered <laughs> and massive and large. Now I find that super charming, but I will give them credit. They probably did the right thing by at least adjusting the shirt a little bit to put the word yeah. mark instead of the logo in the center. Yeah. I feel like the green is ever so slightly not correct either, but uh, you know, overall uh, given the fact that it probably was all templatey kind of stuff. I mean, I looked at everybody else's, team wear and it's all kind of the same but you're right the throwback 96 jersey is so close to right it looks good i, I can't wait for them to do a couple more of the throwback things it would be terrific to see some more stuff done i mean I, I, you know i i feel as much nostalgia for anybody else uh, for the the burn brand as a nostalgia throwback element you know so good shout to them question about that so there were four hats and yeah. the only place I have seen any of them are the two images that you were supplied. Yeah. Yeah. I Apparently, can't find them on sale anyway. Or at yeah. least online. They said that some of the stuff hasn't showed up yet. So there's a chance that you're going to get some eventually. Uh, and those two hats are basically like the exact same hats they sold back then. There's two more hats we haven't even seen images of yet, apparently. So, you know, there's there's for sure going to be... A, I, mean, like, I don't think they have the actual 96 jersey throwbacks for sale. I think they only have the really weird black and black one i don't think they have the throwback 96 yet so there's going to be some more stuff coming for sure 
yeah. and then maybe some more because it's been so successful. So it amazes me that that the team has always sh- like shied away from doing this and waited until the league did it because fans have always been calling out for for retro for like burn throwback gear. Well, believe me, there's a segment inside the organization that thinks that no one cares about the burn. And that this, well, I know this the world didn't exist before the hunt sport FC yeah. Dallas. But. Well, some I people a, thought this would be terrible. And it's I have a weird not. feeling that if I put up on eBay the five or six 96, 97 you know, sets of home and away jerseys that I have, I could probably pay my house mortgage for a month or two. <laughs> I mean, you, you look on eBay, those, the 96 jersey goes for 300 plus. Yeah. I want to get the 99. I just don't want to spend a couple of hundred to get it. <laughs> Yeah, I, it was funny. Uh, the one shirt that you're talking about, Buzz, is the one that made me laugh the hardest because it was like, okay, let's take all of the design elements in the original Burn jersey that are the most garish and outlandish, and let's multiply it by 13, and you got that thing that they designed, which yeah. is the that weird... I don't even know how to describe that thing. It's got black on the outside, red in the middle, and then they got the guacamole green in the weirdest spaces. But yeah. you know what? They'll sell like a thousand of those to kids or a young, you know, Gen Z or whatever, and everybody will think they're super cool. All right. Now, my one bone to pick with all of this is, is I pissed that they included Portland and Seattle in this mix. They are not original MLS teams, and it cheeses me off. I know they were NASL teams back in the day, but they are not part of the 25th anniversary celebration. They shouldn't be, and I think it stinks that they got included in this. I find it kind of funny. The the Seattle stuff's really nice because they had the. I mean, they were still playing indoor, but they had the same uh, template as the same Nike template as uh, as the band did, but in like white and purple. Uh, Vancouver stuff looked alright. Portland got absolutely hosed. They just got this terrible green and white. Looks like a pub team jersey with just timbers in a script across that looked like any company softball team it just looked awful <laughs> that's like the fan base that's gonna buy the most and you absolutely screwed them i like the script timbers actually because oh, the jersey looks, the jersey looked like something i wore in uh in, in like elementary school playing football now if they'd have rolled out the tampa throwbacks i'd have bought in some of that the yeah did they throwback. not did they not do the tampa throwback uh, no there's no team for them to throw back to i mean they didn't do a mutiny uh-uh, not yeah, they I have saw. a big league, a uh, league-wide store, and Mitchell and Nessa selling stuff from their site. But they thought, oh, I thought I saw, tam- I thought I, I thought I saw, I know I saw Clash stuff. I thought I saw Mutiny stuff in there. All right, well, whatever. Well, yeah, I hope they sell a ton of it, and I hope somebody gets the message, and I hope it turns into something else. Uh, uh, but uh, who knows? Well, all right. Hey, it was just a preseason game, guys. It doesn't mean too much, I hope. And we'll have another preseason game to talk about next week as uh, Dallas does take on Houston. When is that game, Buzz? Saturday, I believe. Yeah, and that's the right? Is it being is it uh, being streamed or anything? Do we know? Uh, yes, I know for sure Houston's streaming it, but I think Dallas is too. Which then leads us to our last note. Since we last spoke to you people, Dallas has announced both their English and their Spanish TV partnerships. Oh, yeah. Spanish is fantastic. I mean, they have so much work to do in that market. But no matter how you feel about the politics of whatever's happening in this country, you have to recognize the fact that the Hispanic population in Texas is growing and will be the majority population at some point soon. So if you were trying to run a business in this state, you need to have a Spanish presence. 
And so for them to bring back Spanish broadcasting, no matter whose idea it was, is terrific. Thank goodness. Um, hopefully it's a decent product. That's going to matter too. You know, English is back on 21. The stream is back. They brought the stream back. So, I mean, as, as good a TV deal as we've seen in a decade. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So hey, I, I, I feel like I need to stick up for my, uh, my, my buddy Andy Swift. Because the Dallas press release stated this was the first ever uh, deal with a, a local Spanish broadcaster for TV, and that is just fundamentally not true. Yeah, not true. Uh, the Dallas Burn had a deal with Telemundo back in the uh, early years of the team, and in fact, not only did they have it, the Dallas Burn were the first pro team in the Dallas-Fort Worth area to have such an agreement with a local Spanish uh, uh, channel. So I, while the deal is great, uh, I thought they were doing uh, the club's history and their predecessors a disservice by trying to claim that it was the first time this had ever happened. It's not. That seems to happen a lot around here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything pre-hunt. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, anything else that anybody wants to touch on? I, I'm hungry. I want to go eat that. Oh, man, that was a lot. I mean, it's good stuff in there. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dan, for taking the time, and uh, thank you for thank introducing you. Uh, a new lexicon of pornography into the uh, in, into the uh, vernacular. Anytime, anytime, oh. Okay, Buzz. Thank you for all. It was fun sitting with you and watching the game yesterday. By the way, Buzz. Oh, it was a delight. I always enjoy that, and I love the fact there's no one there again. <laughs> so, so selfish of me. Man, I got out of that place so <laughs> slick and home. I was. I, yeah. I live. I live 32 miles away, and I swear I was home in less than 35 minutes. It yeah, was you probably, amazing. I beat the shutout. Shootout. Flew down the toll road. It was great. And I enjoyed the extra time against North Texas. That was fun for me. You know, I'm a soccer dork, so I enjoyed that. Oh, yeah, by the way, thanks, Pappy Check, for the music. Yes, thank you, Pappy Check. And don't forget, uh, next week will be our... I'm assuming next week is the big pot preseason podcast, or is that the one yeah. after that? No, next week. That's the one. All right. Wow, we only have one more before the season starts. That's yeah. great. Opening day is, not, is uh, nine days from now. Well, don't forget, listeners, Third Degree of the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer Nine Days... Uh, don't forget, listeners, Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Sunday, April the 11th is our MLS first kick sale beginning and running through Friday the 16th. That's where all MLS hats and tees will only be just $15, but you can't stack those with other discounts. And since uh, the new 96 Dallas Burn collection is there, don't forget to hurry along and secure your Dallas Burn merchandise before it is all gone. As we said, uh, that is already on the way. And most importantly, do not forget that Third Degree listeners receive 25% off when they use promo code Third Degree at the checkout at Soccer90.com. That's their gift and our gift to you for listening to this kick-ass podcast. All right, Buzz, Dan, thanks so much. FC Dallas Curious fans, thank you. We will speak to you next week on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Bad baby, bad. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. 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 Thank <laughs> you.